Welcome to Final Games, a podcast about the games that inspired us. I'm your regularly scheduled host, Liam Edwards, and I'd like to thank you personally for joining me for the 29th episode of the show. Joining me this week is a 15-year veteran of the industry who's been working in a variety of different roles since 2001, which does amaze me as he doesn't look a day over 25. Starting out as a content producer at Sony Computer Entertainment Europe, my guest then worked himself up to an assistant producer role at the company where he oversaw releases such as God of War 2. He left Sony in 2008 to jump ship to the enemy over at Xbox where he was then charged with the responsibility of your Xbox 360 dashboards as the Xbox Live Editor for Europe. Along with the incredible task of controlling dashboard content and making it look enticing for players, he, alongside colleague Andy Farrett, co-hosted the incredibly popular show, Sent You a Message, for Inside Xbox. Since the end of Inside Xbox and leaving his role as Xbox Live Editor, he's gone on to form the production company Explosive Allen Productions. Whereas the editorial director, he has worked to create content for a whole host of companies such as Sony, Nintendo, NVIDIA, and Ubisoft. They even have their own podcast as well. My guest this week is the wonderful Mr. Dan Mayer. Hello, Dan. Blimey, hello. That was such a comprehensive biography. It was fantastic. Thank you. <laughs> no Very problem. Happy to How be are here. you? Oh, excellent. How are you doing today then? I'm good. I'm good. I'm sat at home in the office spending a day out just to spend some time chatting to you about all my all my uh Desert Island games as it were. Yeah, and it's great. I, I want to thank you for being here because before we jumped on the show, you were telling me you're extremely busy right now. Why Why are you extremely busy? I'm extremely busy because my uh, business partners selfishly both decided to have babies at the same time, which is, <laughs> I, I don't want to get into the logistics of that. I don't I don't know if they were deliberately, if their wives were coordinating or what, but they, they are both, <laughs> they are both currently on paternity, um, which has left me and my other, uh, our new director, art director, Simon, to kind of bear the brunt of all the, all the workload at the moment. But um, I, I've kind of deliberately worked extra hard yesterday so I could make time for this because I know... You know, we like to talk at length about about the games we love. So I thought, you know, let, let's let's clear the decks and spend some time with Liam. Well, thank you so much. That's amazing because yes, usually these podcast episodes do run for a little too long. But first, we're going to talk a little bit about you. Then, so you are currently the editorial director for Explosive Allen, your company. Um, but you've worked at both Sony and Xbox. But before that. You must have wanted to get into games or sort of fell into it. So tell me a little bit about how you sort of got your start in the games industry then. Well, yeah, as you say, I only ever so slightly wanted to work in the games industry, as in since I was basically able to talk. Um, which was, <laughs> <laughs> um, I, I, was, I was introduced to games at a very, very young age. Um, my mom bought me a Spectrum 48K. I must have been about four years old. So that would have been like very, very early 80s. And it just, I just never stopped being fascinated by them. I just loved games. I got very heavily into reading games, magazines, everything I could get my hands on. Computer and video games, Mean Machines, Ace, Sinclair User Crash, Your Sinclair, Superplay. Whatever I could get my hands on, I just, I just devoured it. And I was like, this is what I want to do with my life. I want to play video games. I want to write about video games. I just want to be immersed in that, in that world. And so everything I sort of did with my education was 
very kind of single-mindedly geared towards eventually getting into the industry in some form <laughs> or another. Um, but like really single-mindedly to the, to the fact that I was just absolutely awful at everything else I studied. I was like, I'm going to study English because I want to be a good writer and I know about video games. And I was just terrible at everything else. And so ultimately I went to university and I studied uh, journalism and English literature. But, you know, really I was there to work on the student magazine and write about games and write about music, sort of a side thing as well. Um, and and from then, that was it. I, I literally came out of university. I was like, right now I'm going to apply for ro- roles in the games industry. And I did. <laughs> and I applied for like two... And the second one was the job as a staff writer at PlayStation.com, working at Sony Central. Uh, and yeah, by within about three or four months of graduating, I'd, I'd kind of achieved my, my goal. And I was there, 21 years old, thrust into London as a wide-eyed Wolfronian, uh, going, okay, shit, I've done it, what do I do now? Uh, and, and then from then on, that's it. I've just, I've just tried to, you know... Tread my tread my own path through the games industry, and I don't, I don't think I've ever done anything in the sort of conventional sense that that others seem to have. I've I've kind of gone from being a staff writer to a games producer to managing a European dashboard, and as you say, creating editorial content for Xbox to now producing commercial content and doing podcasting on the side and hosting live events and whatever else. I, I've sort of had the 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 pleasure the the sort of luxury of being able to kind of indulge my whims not through I mean obviously through partially through luck but just kind of single mindedness and tunnel vision and going right I'm gonna do this now and I and I just kind of go for it and pursue it and and somehow get there every time excellent well you have had quite a crazy <clears throat> little journey through the games industry anyway because you as you said you you started out you wanted to sort of write about video games and you got that stuff ready to roll but you ended up having a bit more of a serious role uh, an assistant producer role at a company like Sony must have involved some incredibly busy and very strange work considering, you know, you'd study journalism and that kind of thing. How how did you sort of deal with this sort of sudden change to such an important role? It, well, weirdly enough, there were a lot of transferable skills from working at PlayStation.com because there you were writing content for in, in English, but that that would then ultimately be localized into something crazy like... I remember what it was now. It was like 12 or 13 other languages and would go across 21 European locales. So at the back of your head when you were writing, you were going, okay, I've got to keep this particular cultural reference because if I start talking about something that happened in EastEnders, whoever's reading this in Czechoslovakia really isn't going to understand what the hell I'm talking about. So you started to develop this, yeah, you started to develop this kind of mindset of, <clears throat> of writing for a much wider audience than you'd be used to. And and so when you went over to work on um, the European versions of games, so to be more specific, what I was working in was the International Software Development Division, which was games that were being developed out of America and Japan and helping to produce the European SKUs of those games, which meant you were receiving the localization documents, you were anglicizing the English versions, you were then handing those off for localization and literally going through these gigantic spreadsheets of game dialogue and all the UI text and making sure that it was all accurate and then explaining you know, every little minute detail of of what was going on so that when someone was localizing it they weren't sort of misconstruing what the text meant and then you were spending all your time going through QA with the actual the functionality bugs which is everything that is actually happening within the game and then the localization bugs which is all to do with the display and the accuracy of, of the text of that game and so yeah. you'd be working on maybe two or three of these games simultaneously 
um, and and managing just just insane timelines and and juggling so many things and trying to have multiple games. You know, I'd be juggling like a Tekken game and a God of War game and something else all at the same time and all at different <laughs> stages of development. And you know, and you were and it was it was it was the two busiest, most kind of soul not soul destroying but soul consuming. Um, to, you know, uh, years of my career. It was, it was a, it was a busy, busy time. And ultimately, it wasn't really what I wanted to be doing. I, I think we had a chat earlier about your work at Rockstar, and you said you wanted to be more involved in editorial. And I realised that that was sort of where my heart lay. And, yeah, absolutely. And going through, yeah, going through spreadsheets and doing that while it was amazing to see things way before they were coming out. Because as a producer, you'd also have to see what the developers had in had in the works for the years ahead as well. So, you know, I was actually in a meeting with Fumito Ueda in 2007, I think it was, when he was first showed off the the trailer for what was then called Trico, which became The Last Guardian. You know, you're there wow, seeing this. Wow, that's year incredible. Be- a, year, a year before it was even shown at E3, which was pretty much the same trailer, I've got to say, just, just discussing the game with him and being in the room and going, well, how are we going to... How are we going to get this out? And then you're sat there with like Whoa. American American marketeers, and they're kind of going, "Can the character have a sword?" And you're like, "No, the character <laughs> can't have a fucking sword." What are you talking about? <laughs> just sitting there, just face palming because all the things you hear about, you know, execs and that trying to impose their influence on game design, you were sort of party to it occasionally, and you sat there just going. You're talking to one of the greatest creative minds in gaming, and you're trying to turn this into, you know, Mito Ada's equivalent of, of of Call of Duty or something. So no, it was it was a uh, it was it was an enlightening time, and really informed the rest of my career in many ways in terms of what I wanted to do, what I didn't want to do, but also taught me so much about the industry at large. Yeah, I think I think anyone who writes about games should spend some time working in game development because I think it would completely change their perspective on on. I think what so too. I've had, I've sort of had a little inkling of this week uh, because of No Man's Sky and everything that's happening with No Man's Sky. I felt incredibly sorry for Sean Murray and the guys at Hello Games because of all of the leaks and stuff like that. And I was talking to a lot of uh, friends who are journalists who couldn't really see why it was a sort of a, a problem in in a way. And then I'm thinking of my three years at Rockstar and how hard <laughs> I worked, and I I can't even imagine how Sean Murray feels. And just this, you have a you have a different view of things, especially if you've worked in video games, transferring over to media. It's a incredibly different view of the, the way the industry works as a whole. Yeah, I mean, even just yesterday on our podcast, we were talking about whether obviously there was some consternation about the fact that some guy had got an early version of No Man's Sky and had finished yeah. it within 30 hours and people are going what it's only 30 hours long and this guy had like deliberately gone route one to the center of the universe did everything to exploit the game systems to to get there as well and you think well yeah, yeah it's like what 30 40 pounds but just think how many man hours think how much blood sweat and tears has been poured into those those hours of, of game and how small a team especially with hello games they are a, a very small team and people yep. just seem to take it for granted and go i deserve this i'm paying for this i'm entitled to this well you, you are to a degree but not to the degree that you should be informing the the, the nature of the game itself the length of the game and determining what constitutes the right length of a game, what constitutes the right value of a game. You know, that's absolutely you are you are a consumer, you do have some power, but you you're you're paying the equivalent of what, ten ten cups of coffee at Costa or whatever, and you're looking at the the culmination of five years worth of just this guy's entire life. You know, he's he's 
sacrificed everything else to make this game happen. Uh, and you're just going, oh, it's too short. Fuck it. I'm like, what? <laughs> like, get some perspective. Yeah, get some geez. perspective. <laughs> so then let's talk a little bit about From. Then you obviously went to work as the Xbox Live editor, which in itself sounds like the most amazing title ever to be given. <laughs> and, and the power to control dashboards. But with that, you sort of became this games media personality. And all of a sudden, you were a very popular show host, which kind of changed because you'd spent so much time working uh, kind of behind the scenes and now you were front-facing, everyone was sort of talking about you and you did become this sort of personality that leads to, you know, hosting events now like you do. Uh, What was that change like? I'm not going to lie, it was was fantastic. It was completely unexpected and accidental as well. I didn't go in there going, right, it's it's time the world saw Dan. Here's Danny. No, it was no. It was no. Um, I, I went in with one idea of what the role entailed, and to me, at the time, the, the Xbox dashboard was still the very first Blade system, and the way that you built content, well, the editorial for Inside Xbox at that point, almost reminded me of uh, of Teletext. I was a big fan of Digitizer and that back in the day, and I used to yeah. love, and I actually wrote briefly for Game Central. Uh, which was the successor to Digitizer. And what I loved writing about that was it was almost like a puzzle. You'd have to... more so. I mean, Twitter is now... He's like, how do I convey my thoughts in 140 characters? Writing for Twitter, was so for for Teletext, was very much that same puzzle. How do I convey a a point within a very limited sort of character set across three paragraphs, whatever? Uh, And writing for Inside Xbox at the point was exactly the same because you'd have a really, really tiny word count. You'd have to sort of make a point, inject a bit of personality push the marketing message, all of that in one go. And then they were like, well, we want to include video. So I was like, okay, let's let's make some videos. So we, we had to, at the time, use an external agency to get them in specifically to make a three-minute video, visiting Rare, going to a Call of Duty event, whatever. Um, and I used to go with Graham Boyd, who uh, people know as AC Bongo, still the kind of figurehead of, of Xbox Europe right now. Um and I was like, okay, well, you go, you go ahead, you you host the video, you go and do the interview, and I'll just I'll sit back and make sure it's all it's all cool. And he was like, you don't want to do. It's like, no. I was like, I have no interest <laughs> in appearing on camera whatsoever. Like, I I had, a, I had a brush with that in my teens at school, and I still watch have that vid- that VHS, and I watch it to this day, and it haunts me. So I never want to be on camera ever again. And that was when I still had a very broad kind of brother. Like, Hello, welcome to Thomas Telford School's business catering video. Yeah, it was, it was awful. Um, and then and then. And we did another trip to, we actually went to Rare, went to their Twycross offices, which for me was a massive buzz as, you know, someone who'd loved their games back, back yeah, in the N64 absolutely, days. Yeah. Uh, and I was like, oh, let, let's give it a go. And we, we kind of thought, rather than just do a straight up interview video, let's let's make a little story out of it and make something stupid. And I was like, I really enjoyed that. Let's, let's do more of that. Uh, and it just got to the point where I was asked to really kind of grow inside Xbox and the dashboard in line with the, the first major update to the, the overall UI. And it was asked to build up a team. So I'd worked with Andy back in Sony and I thought we, we had a really good rapport. Um, so I thought, well, let's 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 get him involved. And I managed to hire him. And then I just managed, you know, got, got some other people in to help manage the dashboard so that I could continue indulging my newfound whims of appearing on camera for Inside Xbox. Um, and that was it. So we, we just sort of developed the content and figured out ways to create a week's worth of stuff on a very tiny budget, but... In a, in a very sort of cost-effective, 
an editorially effective manner and we, we figured that we'd hinge it all on a on a key show and everything else would just be stuff that we could bank that was pretty much timeless interviews things like that yeah and then yeah sent you a message was sort of the idea of that like how do we build that community engagement how do we do something that's sort of answering the questions that we're constantly getting into our inboxes anyway um but but sort of put the people playing the games front and center and give them their kind of their, t- their time in the spotlight and then over time the first few episodes if you ever watch them are somewhere on youtube they're actually very serious and straight and we just like this is shit like we need to do something <laughs> about this and so after about the first two episodes we just said let's let's just have fun let's just make let's just make it completely irreverent and yes answer the questions but sort of do it in the most roundabout way possible let's take the piss out of ridiculous gamer tags let's actually add a bit of personality and it just grew and grew from there and yeah as you say we kind of became these sort of z-list celebrities and people would actually approach us at game events and get our autographs you know we, we had we had cues at one point it was nuts and and andy's still andy's still enjoying that i mean he carried on yeah. to the outside xbox and they're yeah, huge retain, you know they got yeah well over a million subscribers now well, and I was still gonna, getting that i was just gonna actually ask it, like obviously send you a message unfortunately came to an end and the sort of stuff that xbox did for editorial for like specifically for the xbox content has kind of ended um do you think if you'd actually created like a YouTube channel for the send you a message stuff that would have continued growing? Um, obviously, it was around the time that YouTube was still sort of not really a thing. It was like very, very early 2008-ish going onwards. Do you reckon you would have that one million subscriber pool of people that would have carried over to YouTube? Liam, I try not to think about those things. Why would you bring that up? Um, no, it's... <laughs> no, um, um, we... we do, Just, do, do you... Do, do you send Andy Andy a message sometimes, and you're like, Andy, do do, do you remember me? <laughs> it's Dan. <laughs> I don't, no, I, I just anonymously post, just just cunt, you know, just, just occasionally. Just, no, 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 no. I, I, we 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 still bump into each other at events and stuff, but we, I mean, you know, in all honesty, we sort of drifted apart because he's so on with his things, and I'm on with all my, you know, running a business and having a family now, a proper family to take care of, and everything. It's just. The way things the way things go, but I mean, we made a very conscious decision. So the guys I run Explosive Allen with were the video crew on Inside Xbox. You know, we made a conscious decision that we didn't want to be just Xbox only. We had a sort of insight from the way that Inside Xbox was treated and shut down, and the direction of the dashboard that Xbox wasn't really going in a direction that I enjoyed anymore. And it, that was sort of confirmed with the early days of the Xbox One and Don Matrick really sending them down the toilet in terms of all the goodwill they bought, they they'd built up. Yeah. So it wasn't something where previously, even though we were, you know, working in house at Xbox, the enthusiasm for the games and the brand and everything was actually really genuine because it was the strongest console in every regard at that stage. And then when it kind of weakened, I was like, I can't really feign that anymore. I can't be that guy anymore because i don't really believe in what i'm talking about and so this and also as, as people will well know by now is like i'm the hugest nintendo fanboy and like over the course of my career to that point i just couldn't talk about nintendo at all <laughs> i couldn't say anything it was it was driving me nuts so um so yeah it was it was nice to be sort of liberated and that was always the point was to speak for ourselves and 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 kind of even though we are producing a lot of commercial content it's actually allowing us just to speak freely in other in other regards yeah. we, we we achieve a, a sort of an, an odd balancing act in that regard I, I think if we had pursued you know con- continued with sent your message down that line and gone kind of built it as a youtube channel yeah i think it could have been 
hugely successful, but it got to a point where I was like, am I doing this for the audience or am I doing this for my own sort of satisfaction? And I'd spent four years doing that show and having a lot of yeah. fun with it and doing the Nexus and really enjoying it. And I thought, well, what can we do now? What can I do to move on? I'm very, I, I, I get very sort of itchy feet after a few years of doing something. I'm not one who just kind of dwells on a thing I've done and gone, okay, I'm just going to do that forever now and just be known for doing that. And even though like my, my, like my fan base has obviously all drifted over to outside Xbox. Like I'm not the one getting stopped anymore. I don't really mind because I'm sort of the happiest I've been throughout my entire career so far and my, and my life. So I, I really don't regret any decision I've made. That's absolutely fantastic. Well, the fact is it's sort of still this piece of Xbox history, especially for Europeans where, that was a big part of Xbox 360 and it being released every week. So, you know, you did a great job it, on that. <laughs> thank you, man. And it, and it is still sorely missed. It's still, you still get messages time. There was know, like petitions so and often. stuff, wasn't there, to keep oh. like, keep it going and stuff, wasn't there? It was nuts. I loved it. I mean, you know, I, I knew the true story inside. And I, while I appreciate everyone's efforts to kind of get it back, I just knew it wasn't going to amount to anything. It was really heartbreaking. And to be honest, I've gone through pretty much exactly the same thing very recently because I hosted a TV show in the UK called Video Game Nation. And that ran for four series. Yes. Uh, yes. And that got unceremoniously killed by um, uh, by Jinx and Challenge TV. And it was that was a real shame. But again, I was kind of... It, I think it had reached the end of its sort of run anyway I, I felt like it c- couldn't really develop any further because we weren't getting any more budget we couldn't there was nothing we could do to really make the show any better and so but people were just going mental and they still are they're still complaining to, to challenge they're still complaining to jinx why did you kill the show why did you kill this you know for once credible game show that was on normal tv and and it, it's amazing to see that sort of groundswell of, of of fan support and to really realize that everything you're making is is touching the hearts of so many people out there uh, and, and they love it and they and, and then they get so furious about it that they're just willing to speak on your behalf and shout out and demand that it makes a return and it, there's nothing more sort of heartening than that I guess no no greater sort of affirmation of of what you're doing is a good thing excellent well we're here to talk about fan love in a different kind of way your love for video games and specifically eight games that you've chosen for a deserted island today Yes. And it's a really interesting list. So we're going to jump right into the first game. Um, so let's listen to some music and start talking about your eight games. on your list today, Dan, is a 
timeless classic, a game I'm pretty sure most people have sort of played in some variation as it's been released across multiple platforms and many home computers and consoles over the years. It's a game that originally released in August of 1986 for the arcades. It's a Japanese game developed and distributed by Taito. It's Bubble Bubble. Dan. Taito. Why is the first game... (laughs) <laughs> Go on. Why is the first game you're taking with you Bubble Bubble? Wow, now it, now it is beginning of a fantastic story. Let's make a journey to the Cave of Monsters. Um, it's Bubble Bubble is a game that's somehow been involved in my life for a very long time. And recently on Facebook, an old friend of mine, someone I haven't seen for probably 25 years got in touch with me and posted uh, an audio file of me and him. It's, you know, this is off a tape. It's a tape recording of, of me and him basically recording us celebrating the fact that we'd finished Bubble Bubble. Uh, <laughs> and we're, we're, I'm, I'm 10, I'm 10 years old. Cause he actually dates it at the start. It's like February, February, something 1991. We've just finished Bubble Bubble. We've just got the true ending. We've finished 200 and something levels. Now, and then we just play the sound test. We just play the sound test of all of Bubble Bubble. Uh, and I'm like, oh my God, you know, I, I don't even remember recording it, but I don't think there's ever been a game I've finished where I felt compelled to then audio log <laughs> the fact that it's been completed. <laughs> um, and, it, and, it, and it really hit home because very recently I went to, a, there's a festival in um, London called Hyper Japan, or, or a little, you know, an expo called Hyper Japan. And um, I saw a bub figure a plush bub from bub and bob which plays like audio samples from i think it's from puzzle bobble actually um and i was like, oh this will be amazing for like my 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 new baby and i took it home and it's a fantastic 3d rendition it's it is like plucked from the screen uh, into 3d it's really beautifully made um and she loves it and i've got pictures of my baby holding holding this bub toy and she you know she always smiles when you play the little voice again like ah! You know, just doing whatever the, whatever Bob says, um, and and I was like, oh my god, it's like I I played this game in my youth, like my baby was enjoying it. My my wife and I kind of, my now wife and I originally sort of bonded. Hang on, so do you mind if I stop very briefly just to shut the door? Because my baby is now yeah, having a absolutely. It's like one sec, one sec. <laughs> Sorry about that. Right. <laughs> yep, she's just decided to start screaming there. Anyway, it's because she doesn't um, have bub. <laughs> exactly, give her bub back. So, <laughs> so um, yeah, my my girlfriend and I, well, my then girlfriend and I, we we met at um, uh, we met at Sony. We kind of bonded over a, a, a sort of a love of of Japanese puzzle games and various other things. And um, yeah, we used to play Puzzle Bubble together. We used to play Bubble Bubble together. There was another Taito game that was called Pop and Pop. I think it was on the uh, on the PS One, um, which I think featured Bubble Bubble characters as well. Uh, and so, you know, we, that was the, the kind of foundations of our relationship, and we're we're now married as well. So, Bubble Bubble's always been this game that has kind of factored into very pivotal moments of my life for one reason or another. I don't know why, but the other reason is is it's just. It's just fantastic. If you go back and play Bubble Bobble now, there are so many games of that era that were very simplistic, but, but Bubble Bobble is an incredibly complex, very, very long platform arcade game. It's, it's a game that's almost unsuited to being played in an arcade because it is so long and so 
in-depth and full of secrets that it just doesn't seem like the kind of game that you want to be standing there and playing. It's the sort of game you want to be leaning back at home and just really enjoying over a long time. I mean, the fundamental mechanic of firing bubbles is something that a, a lesser developer would go, okay, you fire a, develop, you fire a bubble, you, you capture an enemy, you destroy it, end of it. But they've made the bubble such a, a pivotal part and they used every facet of that bubble very, very cleverly. You could fire loads of them and kind of build bridges out of them if you wanted you you learned eventually that you could actually hop on the bubble so if you held the jump button and jumped on your own bubble you would use that as a means of getting to unreachable areas um and so the the, the kind of tactility of that alone plus the ridiculous kind of plethora of power-ups was so was so ahead of its time when you say it was 86 it, it yeah. was nuts and then it just had such it's it's still to this day has such a, an insane number of obscure secrets there was there were secret rooms you could only get to by getting to levels 20 30 and 40 without losing a life there were true endings that you could only achieve through you know meeting certain things when you got to these secret rooms there was actually a coded alphabet that gave you clues of how to achieve the true ending like who's going to play that in an arcade write all that down and figure out what the coded alphabet is it's it's like <laughs> it's it's nuts and it, and 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 you have to also finish the first 100 levels. When you do that, you get a super mode that you then have to play another 100 levels just to achieve the true ending. It's 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 mind-bogglingly ambitious and and um sorry, it's mind-bogglingly ambitious and and just so <laughs> comprehensive. I I can't get over how good that game is. And I can't I feel like it has sort of been underrated i think a lot of people do recognize it's it's genius but people focus on nintendo as the classic kind of game creator of the 80s era but taito are, are right up there um the guy who made it fukio uh, mitsuji he didn't really create many other games he made a few other games for taito yeah like no da you're, like, like darius sort of, 2 yeah he sort of dropped off after like the very very early 90s it's like bubble bubble just like sort of peaked and he didn't really do anything else after that no, he worked on. I think he worked on Rainbow Islands, the sequel, which was also brilliant in a completely different way. And I think his last game was called Popills, which was like ninety-one. Ironically, the year that I finished Bubble Bubble, um, or coincidentally, should yeah, I that, say. That, and then that, that that was like a really weird Game Gear game as well. So it was on an obscure console already, and I don't think it received very well. Um, but yeah, that no. was his last game. That was it, and then he taught game design and and died at the age of forty eight. I mean, he's 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 a real unsung hero of gaming, I think. Well, Bubble Bubble is a very internet, as you said, it's sort of underrated. I think it's mostly recognised not for its gameplay, which is strange, but the characters themselves. They're so they iconic. Sort of, yeah, exactly. They're these sort of icons of gaming, but. When you ask someone to sort of describe the gameplay, they're kind of like, oh, well, it involves bubbles in some sort of way, but not really. <laughs> <laughs> like <laughs> giving an in-depth analysis of exactly what you really do. Yeah. But it's been sort of transferred to so many... It's weird because we're, we're living in this world now where we have like these devices in our pockets that can play like very simplistic puzzle games like endlessly. It's a great platform yeah. for that kind of thing. But... We haven't really seen sort of any sort of bubble bubble type stuff for a long time. Yeah, I mean, You've Taito... Did the... it... Go on. Sorry, yeah, go ahead. I was saying Taito have produced a, a, a whole number of, of mobile games. Uh, there, there is a sort of weird bubble bubble inspired game on there. There's, there's definitely a version of Puzzle Bobble and there's something else. But 
they've never quite captured the same magic. It's a bit like when um, the creator of Katamari Damashi left after the second game. So he was like, I don't just want to endlessly pump out Katamari Damashi games. And ever since then, they've all been these sort of weird pale imitations of 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 the original that are still kind of good because they've got that fundamental magic that he created but they're just sort of lacking that spark that he injected in it i think the same is true with taito trying to bring back what what mitsuji did with with those first two games what wasn't there like a weird wasn't there like a ds series that involved the characters uh but it wasn't like the bubble bubble gameplay i can't remember what it was called it was like buster bubble or something Oh yeah, Buster Move. There was Buster Move, which was which was puzzle, which was the other name for Puzzle Bubble, um, and I think there was a Rainbow Islands DS, which was absolutely diabolical. Um, yeah, it 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 you you kind of see the characters, and your your heart kind of lifts a bit when you see the characters, and then you sort of look at the game and go, oh, it's not it's not Bubble Bubble, is it? It's not it's not quite the same. <laughs> but yeah, um, there's a sort of there's a, there's a bit of a tragedy, I guess, attached to this decision though to keep this with me on the island and that's that there's a there's an ending which is just called the happy end and the happy end is where your dinosaurs turn into humans with the bub and bub are actually human and you see them in rainbow islands and the other sequel parasol stars and they are reunited with their girlfriends and they also transpires that the final boss who is called super drunk which is the best name for a final boss ever um actually turns out to be your parents. And I don't know if that's some weird kind of autobiographical biographical inclusion where your parents are actually a drunk monster or something. That's that's deep, isn't it? Um, but but the tragedy is, is that you can only properly complete Bubble Bubble with two players, and I would be alone on this island. So the only solution is I have to learn to play all 200 <laughs> of its levels ambidextrously, like these nutters who play Ikaruga in two player, you know, on the same, yeah. on the same arcade. Thing. I'd have to, and the thing is, you know, if I'm going to be alone on Desert Island, I might as well learn to do that. Also, the other tragic part is when you finally do that after maybe like 10, 15 years on the island, <laughs> you will have no way of recording a voice log on tape to listen to in the future which would i think be the most tragic thing of all (laughs) yeah that's it i would just have to sort of record it into a coconut (laughs) just just to sort of play back to yourself (laughs) i'd I'd etch it onto a etch etch it onto a palm tree you know on this day oh god (laughs) On this day, 2032, Dan finally two-player completed as a one person, bubble, bubble. Dan aged 52. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I think that's an excellent start to this island, although be a very sad one. So I think we're going to have to, we're going (laughs) to, we're going to have to pump it up a bit, I think, with this, with this next game and, and get a little bit groovy. Um, so let's listen to some music from this next game and let's talk about it. Yeah. But I'd been married long time ago. Where did you come from? Where did you go? Where did you come from, Cotton Eye Joe? But I'd been forgotten, Joe. I'd been married long time ago. Where did you come from? Where did you go? Where did you come from, Cotton Eye Joe?
So, Dan, before we move on to this next game, though, we have to talk about the island that you are actually trapped on. Um, so oh, yeah. For people who've listened, to, so people who've listened to the show before will know we ask our guests uh, where they would like to be trapped from the world of gaming. So obviously, there are no human NPCs. Uh, there's no one who's going to be able to talk to you or converse with you or help you in any way. But you're going to be able to have monsters there or enemies that might potentially want to hurt you if you choose somewhere dangerous. So we want you to be comfortable so you can choose where you would like to be. Is there anywhere from any game ever, like a beautiful landscape or a beautiful world that you've really enjoyed that you think, ah, I wouldn't mind being trapped etching bubble bubble memories into trees there? (laughs) (laughs) Well, funny enough, I do listen to this podcast, so I, I already came oh, with a, I thank a couple you of much. suggestions. Yeah, no problem. Um, so I've, I've got two, and I'm trying to decide which at the moment. So one of them is is um, Chico Sands, or Sun Snug, which is a part of Sun Snug Island in Monster Hunter 4 Ultimate, which is a, just a, a nice little kind of desert paradise. It's, it's the most sort of typical desert island setting you could really think of. And yeah. even though... Even though I can't talk to things and they can't help me. I would would hope that it would still be full of felines, the little cat creatures from Monster Hunter. I would just assume I can't speak their language and that they'd all be hostile or something. But, I, you know, being on a tropical island full of cats really appeals. Um, that would be pretty good. That would be good. I think that'd be quite good. But the other one that I really love is, is Gower Plains. I think it's pronounced Gower Plains from uh, Xenoblade Chronicles, which is yes. this huge, sprawling green fields streams crazy alien wildlife all these impossible rocky outcrops and constructions and just it's it's just a it just seems and if it could be accompanied by that soundtrack that that's there when you're running around it as well that would just make my day it's um it it would strike me as the kind of place where when i'm not playing through my my eight games that i would just have a lot of joy just exploring and running around and just soaking up all the incredible views and just having a walk and just just having a really great time because it is it is such a, an area about standing natural beauty, one of the most gorgeously realised in gaming history, I think. So um, yeah, Let, let's go with Gower Plains. It's a bit more inventive, isn't it? Yeah, excellent. So Gower Plains is where you're going to be sent to, and the next game that you're going to be not walking to but dancing to oh, yes. in Gower Plains is one of Konami's very famous Dance Dance <clears throat> Revolution series games. It's Although this series is well known for having just an insane amount of games in this series and they're incredibly hard to keep hold of, you have chosen one specifically to take with you. It's Dancing <laughs> Stage Euromix 2. Dan, why are you taking this to the island? Two Gower Plains with you. <laughs> okay, from an autobiographical standpoint, um, dan- the Dancing Stage series has been was very important to me in the early years of me first moving to London in, for, for my first job. Uh, because where I worked was was it within walking distance of the Trocadero, and this was in the glory days of the Trocadero, and Funland was still there, and it was four floors of just arcade heaven. It was incredible. But I was drawn to dancing stage with the original Euromix, originally. And what I could do, like during my lunch breaks at Sony, I figured it was like, oh, I could just wander down to the Trocadero for my lunch, grab a McDonald's and, uh, and, and go and play away on the games. But what would inevitably happen is I would jump on a dancing stage machine, play like through two lots of songs, like six songs, and I would just come back in this kind of sweaty, stinking mess. And everyone was just like, Jesus Christ, Dan, buy a can of links or something, please. Because <laughs> I would just be like bopping away on this game. But every time 
I see Dancing Stage Euromix 2, which which was just... In, it's just an improvement in every sense on that previous game. And I think a lot of purists probably would disagree with me and say you should be playing Dance Dance Revolution, whatever, fourth mix or something. But there's something there's something magical about that particular game because I find it endlessly brilliant. Every time I see... Uh, I see it in a in a seaside arcade. Like I've I've I recently had a trip to like Whitstable <laughs> and Margate, and in the sort of like caravan park with, that we were staying at, there was a really decrepit Euromix two. The, the the floor pads were all scratched up. The screen was barely visible, and I still managed to kind of muddle my way through three songs on it, much to the sort of uh, embarrassment of the the, the friends <laughs> I was that I was holidaying with, because I do this sort of weird cod irish dancing thing where i don't really move my arms i kind of they just sort of hang loosely by my side and i you know and i jig <laughs> and i jig around and you know the old the older you get the the less sort of acceptable image, that looks yeah the image i have in my head is uh, excellent it's just you with your arms to your side with your legs moving at lightning speed just back and forth yeah imagine imagine that i'm, imagine that I'm actually being manipulated by a sort of puppeteer like one of those dangly legs marionettes that's that's not far <laughs> off the that's not far off the actual appearance, um, but yeah, I, I just I just can't get enough of it, and I did actually get to the point where I was doing some of the really nuts songs on catastrophic difficulty, the sort of fourth secret difficulty. If you kind of nudge to the right one, one more like off screen, um, and I, I just got quite good at it. But the reason I've sort of it's not just that idea that I just love it. It's there's a couple of reasons I think I'd want it with me on an island. One is fitness. I think it's really important. You know, obviously I'm going to be doing a lot of running around the Gale Plains anyway, but I yeah. do like the idea of just having a, a routine and being able to go, okay, I'm going to do my little dancing stage session and have a bit of a dance and, and keep in shape just in case the, the monsters try and chase after me. Um, and also just to have a bit of music in my life. I think it's very important. I think you go there and if you're just playing games, great, but it's you, you want to be sort of enriched in other ways. And despite the fact that Euromix 2 has a, a fantastic selection of licensed music including five six seven eight by steps caribbean queen by billy ocean <laughs> reflex by duran duran and of course cotton eye joe by rednecks you know you it's 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 really upbeat happy music and some of the tracks are on there that, that, that are their own mixes as well they're all really yeah. insane nosebleed techno and weird kind of j it, it does it does make it does make me laugh that it's called euro mix but it's actually uh, a game that is full mostly of Japanese techno tracks, which is <laughs> yeah. quite ironic. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. But it's it's just fun, and I I never tire of playing uh, dancing stage. There's just no part of me that even if I've like mastered a song and I've got to the top level and I can nail perfectly every footstep on the hardest difficulty maybe i could then move on to double mode where i have to use both mats and do that like a master there's just this kind of endless cycle of self-improvement and and you know there's always going to be something else to do and frankly if i'm going to be there for the rest of my life the older i get that's just going to add to the challenge as well the more my joints seize up i'm going to have to go back and relearn how to tackle <laughs> these hard songs you know as a as an arthritic pensioner so yeah it's <laughs> I like, yeah, I like the, I like the thought of thinking that far ahead. I, I like it. I like it a lot. Yeah, I I, I think I would just I, I guess just to go back to like my my selection mindset, my process. I started getting quite deep and quite literal about everything. So there's so many games that I love that I've sacrificed for this because 
like I'm a big fighting games fan, but who wants to play fighting games on their own? Nobody. I don't. Nobody. You know, get... AI is crap in fighting games. So exactly. I, I don't. I don't. It's great. Yeah, maybe I can learn every character in Ultra Street Fighter Four, but who am I going to use it against? I'm not going to then go right. I'm going to throw it down against Daigo. I can't do it. He's not there. So that that's there out the window. No purely story driven games. It's it's fine to play through a, a story driven game that I love, but once I'm done it, I'm not going to want to keep going back to that. You know, forever. Um, weirdly I've kind of like no open world I figure if I'm stuck in island, I'm stuck in like the ultimate open world anyway I don't really I don't really care um, and also I've had to like divorce myself from like all time favourites like the Mario series the Zelda series they're, they're games that I, I love and I've loved as I've played them but very rarely do I have a desire to revisit them time and time and time again so I liken all these games that I love, that I liken them to like special summer romances, you know, those fleeting moments where you, you love the time you spend with it, but then once you're apart, it's it's just a it's a wonderful memory. And so what I was looking for in the games I was choosing were like long term relationships. What are the what are the games that I that are gonna sit with me through the through the, the the rough and the smooth of this new life I've somehow found myself in uh, and so like all these games aren't necessarily my favorite games of all time but they're the ones i think would definitely see me through the uh, the toughest times that's really good and what's interesting is sort of in your list as well is something we've never really talked about in the show before is is gaming peripherals um yeah obviously with a dancing game our there's a game later on <clears> in your list that we'll have to talk about another peripheral for but uh, obviously, for a dancing game such as this, you're going to need the dance mat. I would not want to betray you and be like, nope, you're just going to have to have a controller. <laughs> um, is there a specific dance mat? I, I know nothing about this, but is there like a specific brand of dance mat or are you going to want like the arcade dance mat? Or Oh, yeah, it was, that- it was 100% the arcade version. None of this home bullshit. None of this like, yeah, no. It's got to be the arcade one. I, I tell you what, I got so into the series at one point that I saved up to buy a home metal dance mat and i think it was made by logic three or somebody and Whoa. i was so excited to receive this i was like i'm gonna have the arcade experience at home it was a massive piece of broken shit and i've never been more cr- actually there's a game further down the line where i did something very very similar i will tell you about that later but um yeah and I, it just pained me to have what should have been the ultimate arcade experience at home and it didn't work out what really frustrates me there was a company called red octane who made excellent uh, arcade style dance mats at home. Red Octane, you may know the name, ended up becoming the guys who created uh, Guitar, Guitar Hero. Hero. Yeah, but that, yeah. that's how they started out. They started out as dance mat uh, manufacturers, and um, they wouldn't, they didn't export to the UK. So I was forever kind of looking at these, looking on uh, at these incredible <laughs> dance mats, never being able to recreate that experience at home. So that's that's another reason why having such. Uh, easy access to dancing stage when I was at work was such a big thing for me. It was like, oh, finally I can I can grow my skills. Because if you had one of those like <laughs> material dance mats, you could get it to maybe a four or five footer and beyond that, it was too inaccurate. The mat was spinning everywhere. It was nonsense. Yeah. It was like, finally Not I great. can take my skills to the next level. You know, and it was, there, there was that part to it as well. Well, so yeah, arcade, arcade. I know you've been to, yeah. And just before we move on with this, I know you've been to Japan uh, before. Yes. Japan right now is currently in this weird thing where arcades are almost full to the brim with mu- like uh, rhythm games, uh, like instrument driven games. Yeah. Uh, you've got a lot of like, you've got a, a quite famous one is the uh, the drums, the Taito drums. Um, we have this kind of like Guitar Hero ripoffs here as well. And there's some sort of well, strange... 
Guitar Freaks mm-hmm. predates Guitar Hero. I'm going to get rhythm yeah, action does, nerdy here. Yeah. I fucking love rhythm action games so much. There, and there are some great ones over here. There's, a, there's a, one that I play almost daily um, called, it's got a strange name. It's called Chuntium. It's this weird piano synth game and uh, I'm addicted to it right now. But one thing that doesn't, although you see very rarely, is dancing mats. People don't seem to be as drawn to them as much as they used to be, especially oh. here in Japan. Um, I did go to the mall, like, I say mall, like, <laughs> which is, sounds really weird to me as not an American. But, uh, and, there was, and there was a guy who spent all afternoon on a, on a dancing stage uh, game and he was doing the two-player on his own so he was like jumping back and forth and it was just crazy to watch it's but, bonkers um, it's a mental but when you came to japan was it like one of your things where you're like i'm gonna find as many dancing stage arcade machines <laughs> as i can i'm gonna i'm gonna document my journey through <laughs> <laughs> i think i think if i'd gone on my own that would have been how i how i would have spent all of my time in japan but i, I was with my uh my my now wife at the time <laughs> while, while we did explore the arcade scene it probably wasn't quite as uh, extensive as i would have envisaged i did go a few years later for work and went with um keza mcdonald who writes for kotaku um she's a huge rhythm action freak as well and so we did spend a good kind of few evenings just going through everything but yeah like you say i'm i'm not entirely i mean dancing stage is probably my my favorite of the arcade lot but i i love all the i love jubeat and guitar freaks taiko no tatsujin all yeah. of those. So to go to an arcade where like they're just all there waiting. And uh, I, I recently played the arcade version of Groove Coaster. I love Groove Coaster. Uh, the arcade version of that is is really phenomenal. It's a real sight to behold. Um, so yeah, what was the one you said you played? That sounds really intriguing. It's it's called. It's got a really strange name. It's called Chantium, and it's uh, it's yeah. kind of like a Tar Hero, but kind of a piano. But it's not <laughs> like piano keys in any way. It's like a. It's just a, a plastic rectangle. That is cut into sections, and then you slide your fingers Ooh. across it. Or it's kind of like a weird mix of like a DJ Hero rock band type game. It's really weird, but the soundtrack, the the current songs they have on it are really really good, and it's a lot of fun. I used that's to play this one. Called, oh god, sorry. I used, to, I used to play one called Mai Mai, which is like the most popular one here in Japan right now, where it's like a it's a circle around a screen, and then you hit the buttons on the circle in in time with the notes flowing off the screen onto the buttons. I saw that but, one, yes. Yeah, but that really hurts your hands after a while, so I sort of stopped <laughs> playing that. All, all the Japanese, all the Japanese children have like specialist gloves, like these really, really tactile gloves, and they all turn up with their gloves and their headphones, and they're all like slapping away like robots. It's incredible. It's quite Amazing. incredible to watch. There's a whole custom glove scene. That's amazing. I, um, <laughs> what, what I love about rhythm action as a genre is that it's still the one. It's still the one that inspires the most creativity in terms of the input method. Like it's not just enough to have a new yeah, way of absolutely. playing. It's a, you have to find some new crazy way of of inputting the notes. Um, the one I've really enjoyed at home is uh, we've got a HDC Vive VR headset in the office. And so uh, there's a game called Audio Shield where you use the two Vive controllers and you've literally got two shields and you can hold them in different configurations. You can actually have them like just a standard front holding shield. You can have them like a gladiatorial backhand. So you've got to maintain a sort of backhand position. And these balls fly at you, different colored balls fly at you in, in time with the music. And they're, they're the same colors as the shields you're holding. So you have to kind of deflect the balls with your shield in time to the music. But you're oh, in this kind of VR, VR concert space. 
And it's like, man, I think VR is really going to be the future of being really creative with all these experiences. You could have like VR Taiko no Tatsujin and oh yes, oh, honestly, honestly, it's 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 all there for the all there for the taking. So I, I'm very excited about the the sort of fusion of VR and rhythm action going forward. That sounds really good. I'm. It's a strange guilt pleasure of mine now. Like rhythm games are something I don't think I could live without going on in the future and, and going back to the UK and not and only having games like Guitar Hero and stuff would worry me a little bit because <laughs> of how they are here in Japan. They're so popular. But yeah, excellent genre. But now we're going to move on. Although you said you not didn't really choose story games, you have chosen mm-hmm. this, this next game, yes. which although multiple playthroughs is very fun and stuff like that, it still is kind of a story-driven game. So I'm looking forward to hearing your explanation on this one. So let's listen to some music from the next game and let's talk about it. So the next game on your list today, Dan, is a quite an incredible game. It's featured on uh, multiple lists on this program before and is a game developed by Capcom, uh, directed by the one and only Shinji Mikami. It's Resident Evil 4. Dan. Resident Evil 4. Yes. How how has this story game made the list? Well, I should point out one, Mercenaries Mode. Okay, so, that's fair enough. That's fair enough. Yeah. There you go. So th- th- it's a story-driven game that also has within it one of the best sort of high-score challenges uh, of, of all time as well. So that's that's part of it. But for me, what elevates Resi 4 against other sort of story-driven games is what I enjoy about it more than anything is is the gunplay. The, the, the core of Resident Evil is its incredible gunplay. And it's something I never tire of. There is... Th- there is an there is an indefinable something about the connection between firing a weapon, how it affects the enemy, just how every different uh, weapon in your arsenal feels. I don't think any game like even a first person shooter, nothing has matched the satisfaction uh, and the sense of connection between shooting a gun, hitting an enemy, and and just that that sense of connection and making it endlessly brilliant. Maybe Destiny. That that's got an an excellent sort of feedback loop as well. But Resi Four, like I don't tire of it. I have played it on every format it's been released on, and I've played it start to finish every time, sometimes more, because I never tire of it. I just I think yeah, as as a story, it's fine. It's Resident Evil. It's it's gonna be ridiculous. It's gonna feature stupid villains like bloody Salazar, the tiny little grey <laughs> child Napoleon. man. Yeah, just <laughs> little what, what, Napoleon. <laughs> what is he about? It's it's got and it has got some absolutely standout scenes throughout it. That you know the Jack Crowser knife fight bits like that. 
the first time that a, a pleasure creature emerges from one of the from one of the ganados uh you know the, the fact that the enemies sort of evolve throughout so the the further you get the more evolved the parasite has grown to become in 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 those people um but that but that's it it's just it's it's just a game where weirdly the core aspects of the game i just find endlessly satisfying and i don't think there's a point when i play resident evil where i go i'm tired of this i'm tired of shooting in the same way that mario's jumping is is just note perfect that it's 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 an art form that no other game really is has kind of matched Mario's joy of jumping. I don't really think I've played anything that's matched the joy of of shooting in Resident Evil Four. It's really weird because I I've spoken about this game before on the show, but something I sort of about recently is I don't know how you I think you kind of have the same thing with like Bubble Bubble and Dancing Stage. We sort of define our like almost gaming careers. I put in quotes. the way we've played games that have influenced our lives um in like almost like time errors and i remember i was thinking about resident evil 4 the other day i I think it was because i was reading about the hd the new hd version that's going to come out for the playstation 4 and xbox um that that game kind of got me into games again like like it at the time it came out for the gamecube uh the gamecube unfortunately didn't have that many games on it i didn't have a ps2 at that time um so I was playing. I was replaying Luigi's Mansion. Um, <laughs> I was playing Super Mario Sunshine and being quite upset that it wasn't as good as like Super Mario sixty four <laughs> and the games I played before. Um, but then Resident Evil four came out, and I remember just absolutely rinsing that game so much, um, and just because it felt so good, like it played amazing. It, like I think of it in a weird way where like everything is really smooth. Like, your gun comes out perfectly smooth. The camera changes very smoothly. And the way the gun feels, as you said, just like as Leon releases bullets, just nice and slow, like, Mm. it just, it feels so good. And because of that, I was like, oh, wait, no, there are games that are like this. There are like games that just feel so much better than other games. And then I sort of went looking for i got a playstation 2 and i started looking for other games although resident evil 4 is kind of like a standout game in that whole genre in that whole era of games anyway but it kind of got me looking for other games similar to it so i was thinking about ah resident evil kind of got me back into games like like hardcore kind of got me back into games yeah it's it's um i think one thing about the gamecube era as well is that those games you mentioned like luigi's luigi's mansion and the other stuff that came out from that incredible capcom partnership at the time like beautiful joe yeah um everything at that time had gotten to this sort of rut of being variations on a theme and there was no real progression it was just like the same thing but looking slightly better and the gamecube just sort of inspired this raft of stuff that was like i've never played anything like this like Resident yeah. Evil Four like reinvented survival horror and turned it into, you know, a, a survival horror of, of a very different kind where things were like weren't it wasn't baked. You weren't you know you weren't waiting for the moment where the dog would smash through the pre-rendered window. It was that things were going to kick down the door. Things were going to crawl through the window, but of their own volition. It was all sort of organic and felt so different, and and it inspired a very different kind of terror and a very different kind of panic. Um, and then, yeah, obviously, games like Beautiful Joe just really messed with the idea of what could be done with uh, uh, with an action game. And Luigi's Mansion was just like was, was like nothing, like nothing. You can play anything it, it like was, Luigi's Mansion. It was like this weird era where the the generation before had been like everyone's learning 
how to make 3D games. Yeah. So kind of like, although there were some amazing games at that time and we had like, on the PlayStation 1, there was like incredible RPGs and stuff. Everyone was still learning how to develop for 3D and how to make it like work. So it wasn't not shit, essentially, yeah. because when you're trying something for the first <clears throat> time, it's never as good as after reiterating on the first time. I think like the GameCube era and then proceeding into the PlayStation 2 era were, was when everyone was like, okay, we know how to make 3D. So now, like, especially Nintendo, like, what crazy ideas that we did towards the end of the Super Nintendo can we add into the 3D and then just just do whatever yeah. we want to do with it? And these were the kind of games now let's that have fun. came from that. Yeah, exactly, yeah, I mean, exactly. Nintendo have always been very cautious about embracing new technology for the sake of embracing new technology, and that's what I admire about them most. People seem to think that because new technology exists, it should immediately be utilized, but they think about how to use it best you know mario super mario 64 kind of delayed the n64 because they were trying to figure out 3d and when they did they made super mario 64 like holy shit and then and they got to the gamecube and it was like <laughs> okay well then 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 how do we how do we make metroid work in 3d and so many other games at that point had gone okay we're just going to take the property lump it into 3d and hope it fits and it didn't it was always an ill fit they took metroid and they made metroid prime and it's like they did it first time. They did it first time every time. They just they knew they knew how to retain the essence, the heart of the games and what made people love them so much, but make them work in that 3D space without it feeling like just a, a weird kind of shoehorning of, of that of that property into that into that new sort of dimension. Um I, I just I've just admired them throughout that whole period and it's it, it only kind of reinforced that I don't care what the most popular thing is right now. I don't care if whatever's four K or whatever's that. I, I want people who kind of work within their means but make the absolute most of what they've got. And and that's why I continue to sort of love the Wii U and you look at games like Splatoon and the Wonderful 101 and things like that. It's like, yeah, they're, they're pointing out these games that maybe aren't at the, the pinnacle of technology. They're not using Unreal 4 and whatever else that people seem to judge their games by. The people that kind of yeah. pour over digital foundry articles before they even consider buying something. But it's more like, well, how do we use this technology to make a, a, a beautiful, colourful world and how do we use that to, to make a game that actually plays brilliantly? How do we how do we how do we exploit that technology for the purpose it, it's actually intended for? I'm absolutely in agreement. It's like I am myself a, a Wii U apologist. I I love that little thing, although it's not got the biggest game catalog. The actual games that are on that console are like amazing. They are like yeah. Metacritic ninety and above games. It is. It, it must be the. It must be the only console ever that has such a small catalog, but that catalog are a pool of games that are just so yeah. highly rated as well which yeah. is very weird and then because a lot of people obviously talk negatively about the wii u <laughs> i fear that <laughs> many people listening to final games will be thinking this is slightly becoming a bit too and in <laughs> nintendo biased <laughs> what a um, surprise <laughs> <laughs> which is very strange because obviously i am very similar to you where i grew up I had the Super Nintendo, I had the Nintendo 64, I had the GameCube, and I had then the Wii and the Wii U, but like obviously interspersed with that, the PlayStation 2 and all that kind of stuff, and, and the Xbox 360. But growing up with the, that Nintendo creativity sort of has a lasting effect on you. And it spoils people, you. Man. It spoils you. It does spoil you. And I do see games a little bit more uh, like 
some of the best games I'm playing at the moment, Monster Hunter Generations. It's a game that when you really look at it, it's pixelated, it's horrible to look at <laughs> sometimes, and your eyes have to squint. But the core gameplay and the the just the level of detail in games like that, it, it means so much more than like power and graphics and that kind of thing. And it's weird to see such in a console like the Wii U, which unfortunately has not performed very well uh, and is negatively received, have games like really inventive games like Splatoon and just fall sort of by the wayside when you think, no, we should be really celebrating this sort of creativity. And the, and this is why like games like the Resident Evil 4, a big part of how that game worked was because of the way you changed camera when you shot you pressed a button and you aimed and then you shot that only sort of happened because the gamecube controller had the triggers at the back that were like left and right left and right and mikami was like we really want to simplify the shooting and the gamecube controller allows us to do that by holding one trigger to aim and then the other trigger to shoot and it's like yeah exactly (laughs) like simplistic creation and like really thinking about it before you implementing something it means a lot, and that stems from that Nintendo way of thinking. Absolutely, just just kind of really focusing on the fundamentals first, making them feel as as polished and and intuitive as possible, and then building a game around that rather than vice versa. Absolutely. Well, <clears throat> speaking of Monster Hunter, <laughs> mm. and I think this is the longest running theme of a game series appearing, because I think it's like five episodes in a row now we've had a Monster Hunter oh, game on the show. We had a, <laughs> yes, we had, we had one like five, five, in a, five weeks in a row, I think now, leading up to your episode. <laughs> so you as you guessed, we're going to talk about another game now, and it may <clears> be Monster Hunter related. <laughs> so let's listen to some music might be might be we'll keep you guessing <laughs> the music might give it away and <laughs> but let's listen to some music from this next game and let's talk about hunting monsters <laughs> <laughs> The next game we're going to talk about is not Monster Hunter. Yes, no, actually, it's Tokiden. It no, oh, <laughs> it's Soul Sacrifice. <laughs> <laughs> this next game is a game developed by Capcom. It was released in Japan as Monster Hunter 4 originally in September of 2013. It then came out as Monster Hunter 4G and in the West as Monster Hunter Ultimate in 2015, in to tie in with the new, 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 new Nintendo 3DS. It's Monster Hunter 4 Ultimate. Dan, please tell me why Monster Hunter 4 Ultimate, the game everyone was guessing, is the game you're taking to the deserted island with you next. 
Well, I was toying with whether to do this or Generations, which I'm currently playing and very much enjoying, but there's... I, I spent something uh, close to 500 hours, I think, with Monster Hunter 4 Ultimate, and I think that's... Yeah. I think... That, <laughs> I'm so sorry. I'm apologizing to my wife. <laughs> um, 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 there's something... You, you kind of touched on it previously. There's something about the fact that Te- technically, it's not the best game, but that that's like second or third. You know, it's a secondary tertiary concern because yeah. Monster Hunter. And I haven't been playing Monster. I'm not one of these people who've been playing it since the sort of the first PS2 game and through the PSP and that. I I joined it very late on. I actually only first got stuck into uh, Monster Hunter Three. Uh, I think the Wii U version of it. Um, and I was just like, why did I wait to play this? What what was I doing? And it it was just a real eye-opening experience because one, one thing you find with Monster Hunter is it's a very slow start and it's very off-putting to the, the less patient gamer. You're like, why am I collecting mushrooms? Why am I gathering dung? What the hell is this? I thought I was supposed to be stabbing up dragons. And then... You get a few hours in, and you're like, "Oh God!" And the, God, the controls are so sluggish, and it's <laughs> like, "This is, you know, have they not played Devil May Cry or Bayonetta? Do they not, do they not understand how combat works?" <laughs> and then, and then, at, and then, at some point, a light bulb goes off, and you go, "Oh my God! This is all deliberate. This is all brilliant. It's just these incredible pieces that have all been put together by some kind of mad genius, and everything is there. Everything has a purpose. Everything has a place." And it's this wonderful puzzle that just works. And a Monster Hunter 4 Ultimate so far for me is just the absolute pinnacle of that, just in terms of the the the, the structure of it, the variety of it, the amount that's on offer, the the introduction of the, the weapon, like the, the the insect glaive, like what an what an insane weapon. The insect glaive is the kind of weapon that could form uh, an entire game in its own right in the hands of somebody yeah. else. And they're just like, ah, we'll just <laughs> chuck it in and make it another one of the 14 weapons. And I spent all of Monster <laughs> Hunter 4, all of my 400 and whatever odd hours of Monster Hunter 4 Ultimate using the Insect Glaive. I didn't use another Me weapon. too. Me too. There you go. I absolutely, I love the Insect Glaive. It was so much fun. So much it's fun. A, the Insect Glaive is a meta game of its own. Not only are you hunting the monsters, but you're also trying to hit the exact point of the monster to get the different types of extract to power yourself up. You are then you are then powering up the Kinsect, which is the little bug that you fire off to, to gain the power. That's a whole standalone thing where you're gathering resources to power that up. And then obviously you've got the whole other game of slaying the monsters and building your armor and improving your weapons and doing all of that. And I figured, well, if I can spend nearly 500 hours doing that with one weapon... Uh, and still not really kind of get to the end of like G3 missions, but you know, you get to G rank, the kind of final phase, and you're getting the guild quests and all of that. So I still can't get to the end of that. Like, how long is it going to take me to master 14 weapons, <laughs> you know, get everything I need <laughs> to get those and get and get good with everything? Obviously, one of the greatest things in Monster Hunter is playing with three other people. That would be a huge... That would be a huge omission. It's going to be very sad to be there on island on my own and only play Monster Hunter solo. But I soloing still... a Rathalos by yourself, soloing trying to s- overcome. St- <laughs> you know, soloing a frenzied Rajang. You know, something like that. You know, that's that's the sort of thing where I'd, I'd etch that next to my bubble bubble. You know, <laughs> on this day, age seventy-four, as well as Dan- as well Danmar as the- defeated. <laughs> Danmar defeated the furious Rajang with a, a, a bone, sword, and shield. What a fucking legend in his pants. 
<laughs> so I spoke to uh, IGN's lovely Joe Scrabbles not that long ago. I listened to that he, show, yes. And he obviously chose Monster Hunter 4 Ultimate as well over Generations. Um, so have you, have you been playing Generations and how does it sort of compare to Monster Hunter 4 for you? Monster Hunter Generations feels more like a, a little celebration. It's like a tribute to the series. I, I would dare say it's a farewell. I hope it's in many ways that it is a sort of farewell to the Monster Hunter we know. My in The fanboy in me right now is praying that what's coming next is Nintendo announces the NX. It's everything everyone says it is. It is a portable and a home console. And that one of the main games that's coming out for it is going to be Monster Hunter 5. And it's going to be this absolutely stunning kind of evolution of the series uh, that you're going to be able to take on the move with you and then play this glorious sort of next-gen version of at home. Because... I dream dream of such a thing. (laughs) Have I got you you wet? Sorry. Um, So... It's funny because when I think of that, sort of, especially from what Eurogamer has talked about and how the NX is going to be, those yeah. are the sort of ideas that come immediately to my head. Like, yes. all I, the first two things I thought of about the NX was sitting on a train in Japan playing either Breath of the Wild oh, or yeah. Monster Hunter 5. Oh, yeah. Oh, wow. We're, 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 getting, <laughs> we're getting ourselves worked up here, aren't we? Um, but yeah, I mean, I mean, Generations to 4 Ultimate is almost... It's almost too similar. I mean, I'm still playing it to death and some of the new monsters they've included are, are really... Well, they're all beautifully designed. I think one of the strengths of Monster Hunter is obviously the 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 design of its creatures. They all have their own personalities, behaviours, quirks little tells of whether they're kind of angry or or tired or or what move they're going to perform they're just they're just incredible achievements in in design um and that they've managed to build a game where when you've you've got these 14 varieties of weapon and you know everyone is a viable means of defeating them but with completely different strategies completely different move sets and then with generations they've added the the sort of um, the styles, the the fighting styles, and the and the arts on top of that. It's like wow, now I've got like fifty six different things to deal with. I should have added generations, not this. I've got so much more to, to work. <laughs> out. But um, I, you know, I guess this is this is really supposed to be the games that we've we've kind of played to death and love. And and I think that's the reason I've chosen for Ultimate over Generations. If we had this conversation in a year's time, maybe I maybe I would change my mind. But um, yeah, as it stands, I, I still see Four Ultimate as the sort of pinnacle of the series and a game that I could just spend forever playing. And, and on a practical level, I think it might teach me a little bit about the art of foraging, um, which is obviously going to be very important for survival. That's and, very and, true. And, That's and, very and obviously, true. And obviously hunting other monsters. And if I am on the Gower Plains and I'm surrounded with, uh, you know, lots of sort of hostile yeah. threats and, and little kind of amiable, you know, little cattle-like creatures and stuff that I'm going to have to kill for food, it might it might sort of get me over the hump of of being a little squeamish about all that. And uh, so, yeah, I, I see it as a sort of a practical tutorial for uh, for the life that lies ahead. Are you going to be crafting, like, cattle armour, though? Oh, yeah. The, like, I mean, return island. to me on the island in a few years' time. I'm going to be nuts. I'm going to be wearing the, <laughs> the hides of everything I've captured, you know, face paint on, roaring, roaring to the heavens with my, uh, with my insect glaive, which is, you know, just a staff I've made out of the bones of my fallen creatures and a... Uh, and, 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 a and a little bug, like stag... and a giant bug I've trained. 
<laughs> like a little stag beetle that you've trained. Yeah, hundred <laughs> percent. Well, I'm, actually, I'm going, I'm going fully native. Well, actually, thinking of like Xenoblade Chronicles, you've got the the Mechanos, haven't you? Like the the mechanical robot people AI who come and attack you. You could like kill them and make like a big exoskeleton style armor. Yeah. That'd be pretty cool. Also, I think I'm actually living on an island which is actually situated on a giant robot in space, aren't I? As well, so yeah, you are. You are. That, that's cool. <laughs> <laughs> You you figured it all out. You've, you've got, got it, it sorted. I've got it sorted. You 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 made your notes and did your research. <laughs> <laughs> well, we're going to talk about your next game now, and I'm not really sure how this next game would help you in any practical <clears throat> terms uh, for surviving the Gamma Plains. <laughs> but it's a lovely game to look at anyway. So we're going to listen to some excellent music, and we're going to talk about the next game. game you've chosen for Gower Plains to take with you and uh, play sat there in your armor, uh, Dan, is a game developed by Lucid Games uh, and published by Sierra Entertainment, of all people. Um, it's in the really excellent Geometry Wars series. It was released for the PC, PlayStation 3, Xbox 360, just every platform available. Um, it's been around for almost two years now. It's Geometry Wars 3 Dimensions. Dan, please tell so- me why you're taking... Yeah, I um, <laughs> I guess I guess there's an emerging theme, and that's sort of one of self improvement. There's one thing I like about games. I the reason I chose what I call open ended games over open world games is that open world is sort of you can do a set number of things within a world that's very big, whereas open ended games tend to be offer a very small kind of core environment, but offer kind of endless scope for self-improvement and i think if yeah. there's one thing if there's one thing that's going to keep you sane on an island it's bettering yourself and self-betterment and just ensuring that you're you're, you're always at the top of your game and geometry wars 3 is is one you know it's it's an arcade shooter par excellence i mean like geometry wars 2 is arguably the best of the series i was thinking more in terms of the amount of stages that that Geometry Wars 3 offers to constantly better yourself at. So you've got the kind of core modes that are in two as a sideline, but then you've got these, I think, probably nearing 100 levels total uh, of just just high score heaven. I do love a twin-stick shooter. I think Geometry Wars as a series uh, is is phenomenal. I I just think they are so beautifully tuned beautifully balanced and just absolutely gorgeous and hypnotic to look at as well um and geometry wars 3 for whatever reason uh i i really obsessed over and if we're going to sort of maintain the autobiographical bent i had uh, a copy of my playstation vita and i was in i was on holiday for my birthday in prague and this was last year uh, and it was only at that point i'd only recently learned that my wife was pregnant at the time so we'd, we'd gone to prague 
And it turned out that it wasn't much of a holiday because she was suffering from absolutely dreadful morning sickness. And so we spent most of this time in Prague kind of like just like holed up in our hotel room while she was feeling desperately ill. And so I kind of found solace in in Geometry Wars 3. Uh, and I just played it. Left like, it to it. Yeah. Well, you Left know, we, 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 we sat on the bed together. You know, I was tending to her. I was being an excellent husband. Of course I was. But, you know, <laughs> when she was having a doze or whatever or watching obscure check tv i would um you know i'd play i'd play geometry wars 3 and I, I i hammered it and i got to the point where i was actually number one on some of the leaderboards in the game and i was like okay i'm actually quite good at this so i mean that's <laughs> nothing to do with the fact that there's far less people playing it on the vita than any other platform honest yeah but um but yeah i was i was like getting in the top five of high score tables and and actually feeling fairly badass about it and i just think a lot of games for me are, are those ones that I can play over and over and over again and, and, and just get that, you know, marginally a little bit better as time goes on. You know, I was thinking of including something like, like a Mario Kart game because the time trials and that are, are also a beautiful example of just being able to shave milliseconds off and just constantly improve in, in really sort of almost indiscernible ways where you're not even quite sure yeah. how you managed it. But you do, you improve and you get better. Uh, and I think Geometry Wars 3 would just offer so much where there is just always scope to get better and better and better but just what a what a fun game to play what what just a, it just feels beautiful again just a real direct connection between the movement of the stick and the flowing almost like ribbon like nature of moving your ship around as well and guiding yeah. it around is is endlessly beautiful and then you're just given this incredible show of polygonal pyrotechnics as you're as you're playing through it as well um so not i guess i don't really have a great deal more to say about it other than it's just a really great example of a high school challenge that i i could see myself just returning to time and time again it's funny because i i've not really played um any of the geometry wars games and i i've not played geometry wars 3 but there, there's kind of a similar game on the playstation vita itself called super stardust delta i don't know if you've oh, ever yes. played that i played that a hell of a lot and I got obsessed with that game, <clears throat> yep. absolutely obsessed. <laughs> and that was that is very, for anyone listening who doesn't know, very similar to Geometry's as well. It's a, uh, wars as well. It's a twin stick shooter where you shoot like enemies and get power ups and all that sort of stuff. And it, and you go in like a like a, around a weird shape or planet and that kind of stuff. Um, it's just so addictive. And I remember uh, there was a time very similar, sort of where I was I was trying to get like a job i think and i was going to lots of like interviews and i was traveling across the country and stuff and the one game i'd always be playing just sat on the train or sat on the bus was super stardust delta and i think that was and i was playing it so much because of the vita itself i think the vita with the twin sticks and the screen being right there are is like perfect for games such as this i don't know if you feel that way as well oh it's a beautiful like, screen if, you, if you've got the first gen ps vita i mean the sticks feel great the screen is so vivid and so games like stardust and geometry wars just really pop off the screen absolutely yeah and it's just like right there and i think i would i don't think <clears throat> i would have played the game as much uh or as got ob- obsessed with it if it wasn't on the vita it just feels like the perfect console for like a twin stick shooter no i totally agree and and stardust i mean housemark are the the current kind of masters of the traditional arcade shooter it you know it speaks volumes that they actually worked with Eugene Jarvis who created uh Defender back in the day 
uh, to to kind of craft these things that have very, that, that are superficially very basic arcade shooters, but have these really complex systems that loan themselves to mastery. My favorite thing about Stardust was the 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 kind of the boost. Because you started yeah, to realize yeah. that if you boosted through things, it would actually increase the amount of progressively increase the amount of score for however many things you destroyed or how many power ups or point bonuses you collected as you boosted through them. And so you could start racking up insane scores. Then on top yeah. of that, there was there was the survival aspect where your multiplayer would your multiplier would reset when you died. And so I got to this thing where, you know, the levels aren't short. You get to the 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 boss of that particular stage and I might like die. My score would reset back to, you know, a one time multiplier. And I go, right, that's it, going back to the start. And I just you know, there was nothing. I was <laughs> like there was like, no tolerance. I was like, I'm not gonna get my high score, so fuck it. There is literally no point trying to beat this boss now. And I would just go through that endlessly. Uh, <laughs> and if and if you haven't played it, Resogun by the same by the same developer is yeah. uh, along the, the, along the lines. It is it is like a hyper defender with a really insane hidden score system involving the little people you have to rescue and saving kind of, humans. And, yeah, saving the humans, <laughs> but also like juggling those humans while taking down the enemies and trying to juggle as many as possible. <laughs> yeah. It's fucking mental when you really get into it. But Resogun is is uh is also kind of an incredible game. So yeah, I think Geometry Wars three is sort of interchangeable with with Super Stardust uh, and and potentially Resogun. But yeah, that's that's the one I settled on. Excellent. No, that was a nice, nice, quick and snappy good reason as well. Um, yeah. so we're gonna move on to a, a another game which is all about self improvement, and I, I imagine that's why you've chosen this, or you just <laughs> must be a. I, I, I wonder if you can actually play the instrument involved in this next game. Um, so we're going to listen to... I don't know what music to choose from this because copyright is on the... I have to I have to worry about copyright here. Um, so, so listen to some hopefully not going to get me in trouble, probably copyrighted music, and let's talk about it. So first of all, Dan, let me ask you, can you play the guitar? A lot better than I used to be able to, and it's all thanks to this. Yeah, nice segue. So the next game (laughs) from (laughs) Ubisoft San Francisco, uh, a game that originally released for the PC and PlayStation 3 and Xbox 360. This is the sort of updated version of the original game that had a bit more songs. and it came out for the PlayStation 4 and Xbox One as well. It's the game that helps you improve your guitar skills and is the fastest way to learn guitar, as told by the promotional box art. It's Rocksmith 2014. Dan. It is. Why are you taking uh, Rocksmith so- with you? <laughs> well, again, as I said with Dancing Stage, I'm a, I'm a big music fan as well. And I think one way of kind of keeping that music with me is to take a very music 
driven game but uh but also to to learn a skill while i'm on the island is also very important uh and so i guess this is kind of a cheat because it means i have to take an actual guitar along with me <laughs> so uh yeah yes I, exactly <laughs> i'm exploiting this i'm exploiting they like there was a very it was just like just pick eight things i'm like great fine there's no rules i'm i'm, I'm gonna be surrounded by dance mats guitars i'm you know i've got, I've got the works um <laughs> But Rocksmith 2014 is is excellent. It didn't just add more songs. It kind of refined everything that made the first one quite promising and just really delivered on on its premise, which is it's going to teach you the guitar in a very easy way. Now, I I come from a... Half of my family, the Irish side of my family, is very, very musical. My my dad uh, was a a guitar player and and an entertainer, uh, and he... He used to just go around the, like the pubs and wherever else, it, wherever he was living at the time, he was quite the nomad. Uh, he ended up in a small village in Spain in the kind of latter years of his life, and 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 kind of used to play the bars. Became like a local personality there, just for like playing music and playing gigs and concerts. And I never sort of got got the appeal of it. I never really got into playing the guitar. I never really followed in his footsteps, even though I sort of had it in in my blood. And so. I kind of discovered over time that I really enjoyed singing. So, you know, you, you know, it's, it's, if I ever came to see you in Japan, you know, karaoke would definitely be, uh, something we would do. <laughs> um, uh, and then, and then I thought, well, you know, I've, I've got this, I've got this musical blood and I, you know, I spent, I spent years plucking away at an acoustic guitar and everything else. And just, just with no real direction and no real sort of success and got very frustrated and decided it was just, wasn't for me. And then I thought, well, if there's one thing I react very well to, because I play a lot of rhythm action games, it's having like on-screen cues and and having some immediate feedback as as to whether what I'm doing is is right or wrong, and it is yeah. kind of a it, it is kind of a mechanical way of learning, and I don't think I'm learning guitar in a way that many true musicians would actually approve of, but. But damn it, you know I can play songs now. I can I can pick yeah. up a guitar and I can play along to a whole variety of of songs. And I just I don't I think Rocksmith twenty fourteen is 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 a revolution in terms of music education. I don't really think it's recognised for for how good a job it does of of what it purports to do. It's really weird because as I am someone who can play guitar uh, not very well, I can play pretty decently. Uh, I always sort of have done. Whereas my brother, on the other hand, is like. He's been playing guitar for like 20 years. He's fucking amazing at it and all that kind of stuff. But <laughs> when Rocksmith came out, I was really interested in like getting it and learning uh, other songs. Like I wanted to pick it up to learn the songs that were on the track. Mm. But the way it taught you was so different to how you would ever learn to play guitar from like a tutor or at school or from a friend or anything. It was kind of like almost impossible. It was like it was relearning, like starting- isn't it? Yeah, it was like starting at zero and then learning a different technique to how you've, you've learned how to play these things. So you weren't just like learning songs, you were learning how to play guitar all over again. But for a friend of mine who actually had bought the game, he became pretty damn good at guitar because of Rocksmith. And the way he played guitar was almost slightly different to how I would play and the way he'd like hold the, like play chords and that kind of stuff was different. But... Other than that, he he could play guitar from like playing, not being able to play at all, to playing like some pretty tough songs, like all thanks to Rocksmith, which is amazing when you think about it. A game that can teach you how to play a real instrument that in itself yeah. is an amazing thing. 
It's it's stunning, and I've I've taken to playing it on the PC because there's actually a really avid community of people. It's called I think the site's called Customs Forge, and what they do is they basically take any song that isn't in the game and they create the they create the notation for it and and stick it up. And so basically, you can just you can add just an endless stream of other songs. Anything that you think, oh, I really like that, but it's probably too obscure to have been considered for inclusion as DLC, you can find it, and it's just constantly being updated. And so you you just have this bank of, of tunes that you can get. And, it, and, it, and it, they've started adding game tunes. So, like, if you want to play the theme tune to Double Dragon or learn Guile, <laughs> or learn Guile's theme that goes with everything, you can you can do that, and you can learn <laughs> to play it. And you can, go, you can break it down to sections of the song. You can increase and decrease the complexity of it. You can choose how many repetitions you have to do before it allows you to move on it really gets you down into the minutia and, and you realize sort of invisibly as you're doing it your your hands you're developing the muscle memory required to develop the chord shapes and play little quick licks and you know perform hammer-ons and pull-offs and 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 do all the sort of little techniques and it has those tutorials built into it as well if you just want to practice those in isolation um and and even little and again like score attack based games but score attack based games that are based on different types of guitar techniques so you'll have a sort of galaxian style shooter but it's about playing the right note on the right fret on the you know the right string to to fire your laser uh, and so that's actually helping you build up your speed and build up your sort of positioning so you're not constantly looking at the fretboard trying to find your fingering you start to develop a sort of uh, instinctive knowledge of where it is like a like a true guitar player. It's such an alternative way of teaching, but one that completely panders to my gamer head mentality, which which is where my headspace is. And so it's like you say, as someone who's learned the guitar through traditional means, you found it very difficult. But for someone like me who has learned like everything through <laughs> through this sort of on screen uh, on screen display. It was just the perfect marriage for me. It's the thing I always yeah. kind of dreamed of from the moment I played like Guitar Hero for the first time. It's like, when can I learn to play the actual guitar? <laughs> and now I actually kind of go back to rock band and guitar Hero and go, oh, this is a bit boring now. Now I'm just pressing red, yellow, red, yellow, green. Uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's just that, that complexity and just that satisfaction of, of actually playing it. It's like, it's like nothing else. So then what are... One of the when you bust out the guitar now, then because you've cheated the system and you actually do have a because you have to have a guitar to play this game. So, <laughs> tell me then. So on, on in Gower Plains, what what guitar are you going to have, and uh, what are the songs you're going to be playing? What are the songs that you've learned that you're good at? Well, the, the 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 guitar I'm using, I think, is one that came with the game. So I do have a. I'm trying to remember where it is now. I've got I've got a Gibson. I've got a Gibson V somewhere, but the one I'm using is just the Epiphone Junior. It's not a fantastic guitar by any means, but it's the one I've kind of learned on. So I'd probably bust that, bust out that. And then, to be honest, I'm still, I'm still kind of at the stage where I'm bashing out very chord heavy songs. Not a lot of finger picking, maybe occasionally. So something like Everlong by Foo Fighters, or um, Fake Tales of San Francisco, Arctic Monkeys. Um, I do quite enjoy playing uh, Knights of Sidonia by Muse. Not the biggest music fan in the world generally, but it's just got a fantastic little riff, uh, yeah. riff cycle at the end that's just really, really fun to play. And you go through all these; it goes through all these different phases of like big, like elongated kind of um, vibrated notes, and then there's a lot of um, what do they call the rapid picking? Sweet, when you sweet like rapidly picking. pick a string. 
Yeah, like sweet. There's a like oh, moments um, of that, yeah. and then it goes into like intricate chords, and then it just ends with like a monster sort of riff at the end. So it's a really fun. It's just a really fun song to play because it goes through so many phases. So yeah, some, something like that. I'm I'm very much on the sort of like I'm not on the sort of slightly folky acoustic-y finger picking side. I'm just like bash out the power chords and just you know bang away because it's 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 just very satisfying to do that. It makes you feel a bit like a, a rock monster sat in your pajamas in your little home office. <laughs> Tragic as that is. <laughs> so we've got to a point now where you're going to Gower Plains. There's going to be a tree somewhere in. <laughs> there's going to be a tree somewhere in Gower Plains that's going to have. C- completed Bubble Bubble, two-player, by himself. Um, completed Dancing Stage Mega Mix on the hardest difficulty, two-player, by himself. Yeah. Soloed some of the toughest Monster Hunter bosses ever, by himself, yep. with yep. very shit weapons. And now you're going to have, like, Dan, aged 107, <laughs> finally, finally can play... Dragon Forces, Through the Fire and Flames, <laughs> on a real guitar. With his tongue. With his tongue. <laughs> <laughs> you, you're in for the long haul. You, you, you've, got, you've got goals. I don't think we've had anyone who's had like a goal on the island. And yeah, it's, you've it's got like, some good goals. Don't rescue me. I'm, I'm, I'm getting better. I'm, I'm being I'm busy. Me. I'm surviving on coconuts. And maybe, get, maybe, I'm getting, maybe. Maybe send a woman occasionally, but apart from that, I'm good. <laughs> well, I don't know if you've got to go for this next game because it's a game I don't even know about. I've not heard about this game before. And um, when I was researching it, <clears throat> I, I think I started off researching the wrong game because um, there is a Korean MMO shooter that is named exactly the same. <laughs> it's not that. <laughs> As as it, it, there's a game called Pit, well, it's known as Piercing Blow in Korea, but it also has the same name as the next game we're going to talk about, and it's an MMO f- fast-paced online first-person shoot. I was like, this isn't right. This isn't. A, <laughs> when has he played this? Did he take like a, a three-year gap year in South Korea and just played MMO shooters? But no, it's the next <laughs> game. So let's listen to some music and talk about the correct game. So Dan, the next game you're choosing for your island is the second to last game as well. Um, it's a puzzle game, yeah. Which I think no. we're hinting at now is one of your favorite genre games, favorite genre of games. It's not um, a puzzle game. Is it not a puzzle game? Oh, no. so 
I thought it was a puzzle game. <laughs> I don't know why I thought that was. Light, I think I read it's a light wrong. gun shooter. It's a, it's a light gun game. Yes. I don't know why all of a sudden I thought it was a puzzle game. Um, <laughs> I think it's because there is a DS version of this game. Yes. Uh, and that is kind of like, it took the the shooting and made it into a weird puzzle. I don't know why. I'm all over the place. This game has thrown me because the first time I was researching South Korean MMO shooter games, then I was researching puzzle games, but no, it's a light gun game um, that was made by, I think it was Namco who made this game originally for the arcade. And yes. then um, it later released on the PlayStation as well. Um, it did. So Dan, this game is called Point Blank. Please Point tell blank. me a little, please tell me who got everything wrong. <laughs> about Point Blank and, and why you're taking it with you. Point Blank is a glorified shooting gallery. It's it's a very short-lived game where you uh, and, an, and another player, should you so wish, fire away at, the, at these various challenges that are kind of split into different categories. Um, it was the first gun game I played in the arcade where the gun actually had recoil. So when you fired it, you got a little clack every time you fired it. And people will know that from playing Time Crisis, which was Namco's kind of follow-up game. Uh, and, it, and it just made for an infinitely more satisfying shooter because if you played stuff like Virtual Cop or, you know, or um, Lethal Enforcers or anything like that, you didn't really get anything out of it. I think maybe Operation Wolf had a bit of uh, feedback on the on the little Uzi controller, but generally you, d- you just didn't get anything. And, and for some reason, Point Blank is, aside from... Dancing Stage Euromix 2. It's the game that whenever I wander into an arcade, if I see it there, I have to play. I have to play Point Blank because, again, I just, I've, I've never managed to become like the absolute master of Point Blank. And it gets harder as the years wear on because every time you go to an arcade, the gun is like the end of it slightly melted. It doesn't quite aim where you, <laughs> where you think you're aiming. It's, you know, the, 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 the cabinets just get more and more battered and so the challenge kind of evolves as you play because it's the game's just kind of inadvertently making itself more difficult for you. Um, and I, I, guess, I guess the reason I played it was, I, I put it in there, was because was one, it gives me very fond memories of the arcades, which is a place where I spent as much of my youth as humanly possible. Um, whether it be you know going to, to to Blackpool or the seaside or on holiday to like my dad lived in Spain so I used to visit him occasionally and I would basically force anyone I was with to make me go you know to find is there an arcade here then we must go to it and we must go to the arcade and play the games uh, and of all the games I play there <clears throat> which which are numerous and uh, in their hundreds Point Blank is the one that every time I see I I have to I have to play it and I never ever tire of I I have an aspiration at some point to get a point blank cabinet in my home that would so be that would time. be so uh, cool yeah because i mean in addition to all these other games obviously i'm going to be learning and 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 self-improving and all this point blank is the one that every so often it'll be in the corner i'm not going to play it all the time but when it's there there'll be a point where i'll go oh, i fancy a game of point blank and i'll wander over and i'll have a quick crack on it and i'll get through its 15 or so levels or whatever and then wander off and leave it to just gather dust for a bit until i inevitably go back to it again but yeah it's it's i don't know how long it's been out now it's it's probably something like 20 years old and i and i i, I used to shoot um episodes of video game nation in a bar in peckham called the four quarters and they had it in there and the great thing about filming in the four quarters is that they have a dish of quarters because all the games do operate on quarters and they just go, oh, well, just, you know, 
have you fill while you're filming and when you're in between breaks. And so every time I filmed in there, I just like grab a core, immediately pump it into the point blank machine and have another go. Um, <laughs> and it's, it's just fun. It's just, it's got so much fun personality. The two guys that you're supposed to be playing are called Dr. Dan and Dr. Don, who are in these um, safari suits. They've got these bizarre sort of egghead shapes and, and, and mustaches. And I think... I'm, I'm doing this entirely from memory, even though I've, I've played all the time. <laughs> uh, and, and all the challenges are kind of wacky. Like, sometimes it'll be, like, just unload 60 bullets into a car as quickly as you possibly can to destroy it. Or there's a gigantic sort of weird cuckoo clock where birds are popping out and you've got to shoot them and avoid the bombs. Or um, Dr. Dan and Dr. Don are hanging on ropes and piranhas are trying to jump and eat them and bite them off the ropes. So you've got to take out the piranhas. They're just all weird, weird little fun, sounds, fun games. It sounds a lot like a WarioWare style game. Yes, it was absolutely that. It was kind of WarioWare before WarioWare. And I, I think the makers of that must have been inspired by it because it does have that same uh, breathless quality as WarioWare as well. The games are all relatively short-lived. Some of them are literally five seconds long. It'd be like a leaf is falling, shoot the leaf with one bullet. Uh, and then it'll move on to the next game, and it and it, it, it cracks along. You can finish the entire thing in about fifteen minutes. Um, but yes, you're you're absolutely right to draw that parallel. It just it has that sort of zany, creative, breathless quality, and and uh, I absolutely bloody love it. And and I, I mentioned earlier that I had a second tragic peripheral story uh, yeah. to share in light of the uh, rubbish dance map. Uh, and it was that I, if you remember, there was a, a light gun released for the PlayStation called the G-Con, G-Con 45, I think it was. Yes. <clears throat> and and disappointingly, because it was made by Namco, it didn't feature any kind of mechanical recoil. And I was like, this won't do. I can't play point blank on the PlayStation, not have any recoil. And so it turned out that some third party manufacturer had created it. Uh, it had a, it had the foot pedal, so if you wanted to play Time Crisis, it had the foot pedal, it had the recoil. You actually had to plug it in to activate the recoil. Again, I you know I was young, I was in my kind of mid-teens, working part-time jobs in coffee shops, and so I had this goal again, single-minded goal to to get this gun, and so I saved up. I think it was something stupid like eighty pounds to buy this gun. <clears throat> Plugged it in, first time, great gun was clacking away, everything was fine. Second go, gun wasn't clacking so much anymore. Was kind of intermittent. <laughs> Third time, no recoil clacking whatsoever. And like, that was it. It was done. It was spent. It was so poorly constructed. Much like my shitty dance mat. Here's a warning about oh, third-party peripherals. No. That, yeah, I'd spent all this money on a clacky light gun only for the whole thing to just kind of fall to pieces and, and not not work as, as advertised. And so, yeah, I've I've... I've had a lifetime of disappointing third-party peripheral purchases, trying to basically, <laughs> basically in my my sort of naive goal of of recreating the arcade experience at home, like authentically. It's always been about the magic of the the sort of crazy things. You know, it, it could be the 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 sort of hydraulic seat that you'd sit in to play um, Thunderblade or Space Harrier or um, the you know the G the what was it called the G three sixty that they had for. Um, for G-Lock, the kind of afterburner successor. There were just all these sort of unique experiences that you could only have in the arcade, and every attempt I had to kind of bring them home always just sort of culminated in the absolute disaster <laughs> and financial ruin <laughs> for some reason. So <laughs> never again is, is is the story there. So, yeah. Um, yeah, well, point blank. 
Well, just for you, Dan, <laughs> I, I've looked into the final game's budget, the huge budget for final games, and uh, I've done some a small research just now. So, uh, for Liberty Games, the arcade dev- arcade specialist or something, the games room specialist, they have a Namco Point Blank arcade machine for £3,000. So maybe it's a the version you can play on the island, you can have it. Oh, fantastic. Thank you. I don't know what you the um, have... I don't I don't know what the shipping fees are to Gal Plains, but I'm sure they're um, <laughs> well, not they at say, all extortionate. They, well, they say delivery free in England, Wales, and Scotland, so I'm not particularly sure where Gal Plains <laughs> falls in those categories. But do you ship think... to planets on the back of dead robots? <laughs> <laughs> well, you can have the point blank arcade cabinet just so to make up for all those crappy peripherals you've spent your money on. You can have that. That's the nicest thing anyone's theoretically bought me. <laughs> well, it's yours. <laughs> Thank you. I'm theoretically taking all the props for this. It's, it's kind of like a, one of those. What was that show where? What was that show when people did nice things and got? cool things are i can't remember there was a show back in on tv back in the 90s about people had, were set challenges and if they completed those challenges they could have like a whole host of prizes for their whole family do you remember oh, that and they had to do what nice remember. things for other people no I, not not specifically that but like like random just normal people had, were set like a challenge it was, a lot of the time it was like memory challenges like they had to memorize like list of historical figures or something then come back on tv recite it perfectly and then they would oh, get like yeah. all of the prizes do you remember that yeah i can't remember I, I, what it was called it was insanely hard but yeah you'd win some incredible stuff um oh god i'm, not, I'm never gonna remember that but i know exactly yeah. what you're talking about yes but th- this this is like that right now the final game sweepstakes and thanks to all the <laughs> shitty peripherals you've bought over the, <laughs> your life you've redeemed yourself by now getting an arcade cabinet for game oh i feel so to special. sit to sit to sit right next to the tree where you've engraved all of your gaming achievements into it. Wonderful. Thank you. <laughs> well, I think now <laughs> is the time that we move on to your final game then. Yes. Um, a game that we, I, I think this is the most chill out of all the games you've got. This is the one where you're not really gaining anything from it. You're not learning. Well, you're probably learning a little bit, but not as much as the others. And there's also there's nothing really to gain gaming achievement wise. So this yeah. is maybe your relaxing, just enjoy the view of a giant space robot. But <laughs> let's move into Dan's final game. So let's listen to some music.
So the final game that you're taking with you, Dan, is from a series made by Nintendo. Um, it was produced by Katsuya Eguchi. Uh, it's had quite a few games in the series, and you didn't specifically tell me which one you were taking with you, unless you were taking the first, which then would be fine. Uh, it's the Animal Crossing series, and Dan, which one are you taking with you? This is the GameCube iteration, which I think is just called Animal Crossing. Yes, okay, so that... I, I thought so. So yeah, so you're taking the the Animal Crossing one, the first ever one, which was for the GameCube in the West, but originally for N64, the Nintendo 64 in yeah. Japan. Yes. Dobutsu no Mori, as it's called here in Japan. Uh, the so original something, N64 version. Something was no, no Mori is what forest? Is it, like, is it animal forest? Is, is that what it means? Yes, it, means, it basically means animal forest. Yeah, that's there essentially what it means. Um, but yeah, that was released by Nintendo EAD and once again directed by Katsuya Eguchi. It was released in Japan in 2001 for the N64 and then surprisingly only during the, like a year development for the GameCube as well. There was a GameCube version that released in 2002 here in the West. So the final game you're taking with you today, Dan, is Animal Crossing. Animal Crossing. Animal Crossing is a game that I've had to, I guess, divorce myself from uh, in real life because it resembles real life too much and when you're a child it's a real novelty to play Animal Crossing because you do things like you you, you have a mortgage you have a ruthless lender money lender uh, in the form of Tom Nook who goes here's a house now pay all these bills and then just keeps throwing in these added incentives and making you pay more and you you have to kind of maintain uh, friendships and relationships and do people favours and keep keep the place generally in order and just keep it tidy and i'm like that that is my life right now that's what i'm doing with my house every day i don't need a kind of virtual <laughs> microcosmic example of my own life to deal with as well as doing all those chores in real life and so yeah the moment i sort of got jobs and got responsibilities i, I found it increasingly hard to derive any sort of enjoyment from animal crossing whereas on uh my my personal little island on my on my gower plains I feel like I would need it because it would it would retain a sense of it would give me a sense of of society and and routine that would otherwise be missing from my life. You know, it it does track real days, it does track events. So even though I would be isolated from the world, I would still know what time of year it was. I would still know when it was Christmas. Uh, um, all you know, I'd, I'd be able to celebrate my birthday and things like that, and not lose track of what's going on beyond my little my little world. And so, Animal Crossing to me would sort of be my little escape to a sort of real world of sorts, um, a, a way that would kind of distract me from the the kind of loneliness of the of the island, I guess. And so, you know, I'd, I'd be doing like, the weeding. I'd be do- of- uh, yeah. You need that order, that little sense of order in a world where you're kind of on your own and left to your own devices and, yeah, you'd have to survive and stuff, but the order and the sort of mundane, and the mundanity of normal life that keeps us, like, stable and looking forward to things as well um, is definitely something that you would miss, I would imagine. Yeah, and I, th- I think just having all of that would really keep me keep me sane. And that's a very important thing. It's all, It's all very well and good to play games and and improve yourself but just that that sanity and i guess you know in the same way tom hanks had wilson the volleyball in castaway i would have my little 
animal friends, uh, you know, in 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 my village, and I guess I, I, I guess I'd go through a similar similar heartbreak. You know, someone decided to leave my leave my village. I think the anguish at that point would be real because they would be my only friends. Um, you know, it's like, why did you leave? Me? <laughs> I, you know, I, 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 I think you'd return to me like playing Animal Crossing, however many years down the line, and just you'd see this kind of broken man who's still getting over some kind of bitter breakup with an with an owl or something um but yeah it's it, 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 that's it it's it's that, that's purely it it was it, again it was a very sort of practical consideration i do admire the animal crossing series i think it's brilliant i would learn a little bit because i'd be digging up fossils and finding insects and or, or, you know catching fish and all the little things that it offers as well so i, I would be sort of learning a little bit more about nature not that any of that nature would actually exist on Gower Plains because it's all fucking alien and weird but still um, <laughs> and also it's it's kind of a little cheat you'll notice I've cheated quite a bit with some of these but um, Animal Crossing is a real che- cheat on the GameCube because it also contains a bunch of NES games so that's true you... not only would I have Animal Crossing but I would have access to a whole bunch of NES games that I could play within it I'm gonna to have to start clamping down on this stuff. I'm gonna to have to. People, it's got to the point now where people are really seriously thinking about it, and they're like, "How can like last week we had uh, like a, a like a, a it was Kingdom Hearts to the the HD release, but it had Kingdom Hearts Birth by Sleep on that disc as well." Oh, that's cheeky. So, so I'm gonna, I, I will say I'm gonna I mean, have to I start say, clamping down on this. Well, the NES, the NES thing was a secondary consideration because uh, you know everything I said is, is actually the genuine reason I picked it, and I was like, oh yeah, but bonus if I go for the GameCube version, I get that as well. Wicked. Um, I will miss. I, I can't remember if they're in that one, but the in the latter ones, the the Cap'n, the songs that he sings on the way to uh, the the little separate island that you go to, they're just absolute works of genius. I think the Cap'n songs are one of my favorite things but i would have kk sliders music at least to keep me sane on yeah, a saturday on a saturday night so that would be the, i would yeah. look forward to my saturday night gig with kk slider and then maybe i'll be able to play along with him on my guitar from rocksmith so you know oh my god you've absolutely thought this out haven't you yeah and also, also on the fly but yeah <laughs> and also thinking about it as well you've you don't have to scroll all your achievements into a tree you can just record them in Animal Crossing and send a letter to yourself for yes. the future. I can write letters to myself and you can send off little notes in bottles, can't you? So I'd, I'd sort of have the whole Desert Island experience, but within within the game itself. <laughs> and then maybe one day when we come to... <coughs> When when we come to find you and and you're no longer there anymore, and there's just this there's just these random scrawlings of letters in Animal Crossing of a man slowly going madder and madder as his crap gaming peripherals broke on him. <laughs> all my all my guitar strings broke after week one. I didn't really think about bringing replacement strings, and the dance mat doesn't work anymore. The gun's broken. My favourite village resident has left me. What what's left for me? <laughs> oh God! Now it's all gone to pot. <laughs> <laughs> well, Dan. So that is an incredible eight list and some incredible stories. Go to. I can't even talk. I'm so <laughs> flabbergasted by the. That was an incredible eight games and some incredible stories to go with it as well, Dan. I want to thank you so much for coming on the show today. It's been an absolute pleasure to have you. No, I loved it. Thank you so much. It was just it was just really fun to talk through it all. I had a, I had a great fun in sort of compiling the list and 
what was funnier is that as I was talking about them, I, as you as you saw, I was I was just thinking of even more reasons why they were good inclusion. So <laughs> stuff, no, I, stuff I, I just really comes back, it. doesn't it? Yeah, stuff just comes back while you're talking about it. You're like, oh yeah, there was that, and there was this, and I remember that time, and that's the beauty yeah, you of make all these sort of little with video games as well. Exactly, it triggers all these little memories, and 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 also just the, all these little kind of unconscious connections and stuff that suddenly the the moment you you sort of vocalize them you go oh yeah jesus yeah you, you know they, they bubble around in your head but the, as soon as they kind mm, of come out absolutely it, it all becomes a lot more sort of yeah coherent it's it's mental so yeah it's uh it's it's been fun and it's also been therapeutic excellent well you'll know before we let you go then we have to ask you one more question uh-oh <laughs> and we have to ask if you could take one console with you then um Thinking of the back catalogue, including all the games in the back catalogue as well. If you can only take one console with you, you're not allowed to take PC. I'm clamping on down on rules, and PC is not allowed, because you can pretty much emulate anything these days on a PC. Oh, so now you're clamping down. Yes, I'm clamping down (laughs) as as much as I can. I'm making this as pure as possible. Um, But if you could take any console with you, what would you choose? Oh, God, it's so... See, that's the hardest question of them all, because now I'm like weighing up like everything. But part of me actually thinks it might either be the 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 DS or the 3DS. I think there's just again practicality, mobility, but also just the the. I think the DS is probably one of my favourite consoles of all time. When I look at the games that I've got stacked up in my cupboard from the DS era, even though none of the ones I've actually picked here are on the DS. Um, it, it, yeah, I've got I've got so many fond memories, and there's just so much good stuff that I I could play for so long on on that machine. Uh, you know, especially on the rhythm action side. You know, having access to Uenden and um, Daigasso Band Brothers and things like that, I I could play yeah. those forever. So um, yeah, fuck it, DS, DS. That's a good choice. I am I'm a <laughs> an apologist for the Wii, but I absolutely adore the 3DS as well, and the DS. So Dan is a superb choice. Dan, thank you so much for joining me today. It's been an absolute pleasure, as I said. Um, tell the wonderful people who have made it this far through your Gower Plane stories and to let them know what they should be checking out of yours, what uh, Explosive Allen, how they can look at stuff about that and all that kind of stuff, and where they can find you on Twitter as well. Uh-oh. Are you back? Oh, oh, there you go. You, oh, yes, sorry, there you, went complete, you went completely quiet then. Sorry, <laughs> sorry. Um, <laughs> don't know why that went quiet. Um, just to say, just before we go, how about you let the wonderful people um find out where they can find out more about you on Twitter and about Explosive Allen as well, and what kind of stuff that you've been doing recently. Well, first of all, congratulations for making it this far. You are um. You're probably worthy of staying on a desert island yourself because you've demonstrated great willpower um, and tenacity. <laughs> um, yeah. um, you can you can follow me on Twitter uh, at Mr Pointyhead, Mr Mr Pointyhead, um, and you can listen to our podcast, uh, which we record in our office, which is called the Explosive Allen Podcast, and you can find that everywhere that you'd find podcasts. So on iTunes and Stitcher, we post about it all the time on the Explosive Allen uh, Facebook page and Twitter page. So yeah, give it a listen. It's, it's, um, it's, it's, I like to think it's like, it's more structured than your kind of, your, your typical kind of gaming, topical kind of gaming podcast. Uh, and we have a great little community of people who listen to it and contribute, and we always want more people to listen and contribute. So by all means, please, please join us. 
<laughs> Definitely checking it out. It's a really good podcast. Um, but don't not listen to this one, though. Listen no, no, to no, this no, one, no. Then go, then go listen yes. to that one. Yes. <laughs> Absolutely. Thank you. Yeah, thank you once again for listening to Final Games. Um, you know where you can check us out by now if you've been listening to the show. If you don't, you can check us out on SoundCloud. Uh, you can follow us on there. You can also go on iTunes. Um, amazingly, most of you listen to the show on iTunes, which means this show... Almost every week now is constantly in the top 20, top 30 of the iTunes chart, which is bloody amazing and bloody incredible. And I can't believe that is still something that's happening. So thank you so much for listening there. If you are on iTunes and you want to rate and review the show, that would be great as well. It really does help for some reason. Um, and if you'd like to email in the show, a lot of people are emailing in with like guest requests or like wanting to be a guest on the show or they're nominating someone uh that is actually really cool and really helps me out because finding guests is really difficult for me (laughs) because (laughs) getting hold of email addresses and trying to find uh appropriate ways of contacting people is sometimes difficult so if you have someone you know or there is someone you watch a lot of or listen to or a game dev you you'd like send us an email at finalgames at gmail.com and then maybe we can arrange it. That would be really cool. Um, Also, you can find us on Twitter at Final Games Show and you can also find me at LeeMBME where I basically talk about the stuff we've talked about today. So thank you once again for listening to the 29th episode of Final Games and I hope to see you back for the 30th. Thank you and goodbye.